Welcome to the Zanbergen Report, where wealth strategies and investment wisdom collide, featuring your distinguished host and certified financial planner, Bart Zanbergen. Welcome to the Zanbergen Report, the showcase for wealth strategies and investment wisdom that's essential for our evolving world. I'm your host, Bart Zanbergen, and as usual, we have our engineer in in studio today, Paul. Paul, how are you? Uh, I'm worried. I almost had to move out. You brought in so many people here. It's got a whole, you got a whole audience with you today. We sure do. And you know what? We are not going to just chit-chat today, Paul, because we have so much to cover with my very special guest today, Bill Woodich. Bill, thanks for coming on the show. Bart, thank you very much. It's an honor. Of course, of course. There's so much I want to get to, so I really want um, the people to know who you are. I'm going to just talk a little bit about uh, a short bio for you, and then we're going to get right into it. How's that sound? Perfect. Awesome. Well, Bill, I know you spent uh, years at a dead-end job with a foreclosed future, as you say, and then you created your renowned Always Forward book that forged the way from the impoverished backwards, backwoods of Western Pennsylvania to create a multi-million dollar company, which you continue to lead today. And as a results-based professional speaker, Bill uses his experience to inspire individuals to pursue personal development and professional success with single-minded fervor. He's the author of two books, Always Forward and Fail More, both of which I read and thoroughly enjoyed, um, Wall Street bestsellers, Wall Street Journal bestsellers, and the hard-won lessons uh, you share in the books and keynotes are designed to shorten the distance between where you are now and where you are determined to go in your future. That's a lot, Bill. Welcome. (laughs) Thank you. All right, so we were kind of talking about this earlier, so we're going to start this with the first quiz question. Bill, and Paul, this is a little bit for your benefit. What year did we meet? You know, the optics are blowing me away because as I look at you, I remember you bench pressing. (laughs) It was Blocks Gym, and I know it was late 80s. Yeah, so... um, 87-ish. So somewhere between 86 and 88. Blocks Jim said, Anna. Well, you haven't changed. Yeah. It's a compliment. Yeah. Well, thank changed. you very much. So I can say the same for you. So as you see, Paul, a lot of my friends are from old-time um, fitness enthusiasts. I'm beginning to see that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Bill. You've written two amazing books, both of which I've read. And so impressed to see, you know, now over 30 years that we've known each other, to see what you've done with um, your career, your life. And um, I'm so excited to be able to read those books and to learn something from both of them. Um, so of the two books, Always Forward and Fail More, uh, they were both amazing. Fail More is your more recent. And actually, if I was given a choice, I prefer Fail More. So um, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. So I thought we might dive right into the book. And so we hear plenty of advice about how to bounce back from failure, but how can you instead intentionally fail your way to success? Well, I think each level of achievement, whether and we can talk about fitness because that's uh, one of our common bonds. But in fitness, you fail every time you're in the gym if you're on a progression mode. If you're looking to improve, you're going to get to a place where you plateau. Mm-hmm. From the plateau, you've got to do the next thing. And it's the same in business. We've got to be able to push that plateau further. By doing that, we're setting ourselves up to intentionally fail because we can't be perfect the first time out. Sure. The best thing we can be, and I learned this over the years, Bart, is that perfect is the enemy of good. And all we can ever be in life is good. Mm. So by raising that bar, going after and getting outside of our comfort zone, and and going after that thing we might not know and attempt to master it, that's intentionally setting yourself up for failure because you will meet failure at some point on that destination. Yeah, yeah, that's, those are wise words. 
You know, there was one great takeaway I took from the book um, because I felt it really resonated with me. And you talked about like grit and willpower mm-hmm. way more valuable than than like in, innate skills or even yeah. intelligence. This is where our teachers have failed us. They tell us that intelligence is innate and we can't change it. So we, we tend to segregate ourselves in our own class of are we a dunce or are we that superior student? When faced with the real world, with real failure, with real things that happen in terms of obstacles, do we have the resolve, the willpower, the resilience to push through those? Carol Dweck, Stanford researcher, separated kids into two segments and said, here's these kids, and here's the one thing we're going to ask them. Um, uh, can you take this test? It's insolvable, an insolvable problem. And the kids took it. And she said, gee, the kids that got A's, you must be really smart. The other kids, she gave them that test, and they just kept working. She said, gee, you try really hard. And she found by tracking those kids in later life, the ones that were after the perfect grade, when it got too tough, they quit. And she found in later life, 20 years later, that a bigger indicator of future success, even over IQ, was willpower. Yeah. So, and I had to buy that because my intellect wasn't that high. So I had to just <laughs> yeah. t- try to outwork people. <laughs> this is the key. <laughs> Actually, that's one of the things I identified most with you as I was reading the book. It was because, you know, just that hard work and that work ethic and the willpower. You know, Bart, I'm gonna, I, I got to jump in at your show, but yeah. I, I, just, I have to say this. I, I am an admirer of yours, and I'm not just saying it because I'm on your show. Yeah. But you are one of those people who have always raised the bar. Oh, nice Always one. raise the bar. You're doing the work. You're a student of the game. We used to have talks in restaurants. I remember that. We used to kick around ideas, go back and forth, and try to get a synergy going. But you're one person who really defines, as much as you like fail more, always forward. And I'm sure in your own personal story, you've failed. I don't see it, mm-hmm. but I've always known, and I know to this day, that you've always gone always forward. Uh, How to say that, because it's, it's what I believe to be the truth. Thank you, Bill. That means a lot coming from you. All right. Wow. A little uh, taken aback. Let me get going here. (laughs) All right, Bill. So how can someone learn to stifle that negative voice that says you can't, you won't, and you shouldn't? First thing I think we have to do is to write down on a piece of paper, where's that voice coming from? Is this logic? Is this a real fear? You know, real fear is a warning signal for danger. And danger is harm from an animal, from an insect, from a human, or is this an irrational fear that's coming up somewhere from the reservoir of my insecurities and it's making itself look to me like it's real? Is that illogical? So the first thing is, where's that voice coming from? Emotion, illogical, or logic? And if you do that, you really might get hurt. So we've gotta be able to see it first, be aware, and then stifle that emotion by getting involved, immersing yourself in what you have to do and then doing it. Would you say the comment perception is reality, it falls in there? Big time, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. A- every time. Your perception, and you'll always default back to the worst case. <sighs> and it may be something that happened to you in grade school, it might be something that happened to you in the playground, it might be something that happened to you yesterday, but you're always gonna default to the worst case that could happen to you and make it part of that florid imagination that says you shouldn't do this, you can't, you won't. Yeah, so what's a, what's a, a series of steps someone can take to, to get beyond that? That's that's. Somewhat easier said than done, I think, for oh, a lot no. of people. It, it, you know what? And good point. Most of the, of the steps in Fillmore, and the one thing that, that I was encouraged to do, as a matter of fact, the publisher, McGraw-Hill, wouldn't take the book without how-tos, is come down and crystallize that willpower you and Bart have. All right? You can't just tell people to go do it. You're yeah. not the Nike swoosh. Yeah. You've got to actually tell them how to do it. One of the ways I found to do it is to take a journal. 
How am I feeling about this activity I have to engage in? Then what am I doing today to take just that one step? Take that thought and take that one step, that one action, small, small pieces of the elephant instead of the whole bite and move forward. So the journal is something that I can compress my thoughts in, something I can refer to to say, is this logic? Is this logical? Is this irrational? Is this have any basis in, in logic? And then I move from there. That's one of the ways to do it. And know this, there is no easy way, man. If there was a pill, we'd ta- all take it and of we'd course. be flying around the world. Yeah. But what's limiting you is your thoughts and your belief in the power of those thoughts to do you harm. And the reason why people will go forward in life is they've taken the fear, they own the fear, they care less about the fear. You never get completely over it, but they move in spite of it. Yeah. You might find it funny that my kids, if you ask them, hey, what's the one thing your dad taught you? How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. It's called (laughs) an Ethiopian proverb. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how can one push past fear when it disguises itself as, this is a bad one, procrastination or distraction? (laughs) Go back to your kids for a minute. You know why your kids don't fear? Because they don't know enough. So they're not, they haven't been taught that that this is a bad thing to do. You just go and do it. We learned that from the bullies that chased us, you know, our teachers and the people that we surround ourselves with. There's a certain time, and I think that it calls for the mirror. And you have to be able to look in life life, um, in a mirror and say, is this denial? Is this delusion? Is this what I want to think? Or is this really what's happening around me? And that's crucial, Bart. Because you got to look in that mirror and say, am I procrastinating and doing those things that I don't want to do, the easy things, the things I've mastered, instead of the tough things that I need to do to create a lifestyle for myself? Therein lies the twain of difference right there. Because if you go back into what you know, you're going to get the same result every day. Yeah. You got to be able to push past it and say, okay, warning signal call BS on myself, I'm procrastinating. Yeah. That's the ownership manual you have to use. Yeah. Um, how many people do you know have one of those circus clown mirrors, though, that'll look in the mirror and, and, and say, you're great, you're great, or whatever that comment mm-hmm. is, and really they're, they're not doing the work. They look in the mirror and think they're doing the work. Did you read the outtakes from the first book? Because I had something written about circus mirrors. Um, and, I did. That's why I brought it up. <laughs> circus, you know, there's a lot of people that will, will do that. So I... I in a sales organization, of which I run, I think I run one or it runs me, you'll see a lot of procrastination. You'll see a lot of carnival meals of people that are confusing the actual result with effort. So they're saying, you know, I'm doing all this, I'm doing all this. Well, they're, actually, they're creating files instead of getting on the phone with the customer. They're not getting in the car and meeting with the client. They're doing things by email when the more effective way is to go face to face. So procrastination, that big P, is a killer for that person who needs to go always forward. Yeah. You outlined someone in your book that was that female salesperson, I mm-hmm. think, that had that uh, had that situation going for a while until she looked at a serious look in the mirror. Yes. Yeah. Um, what are some tips for containing con- uh, the emotional distress, anxiety, anger, or fear of failure? Get over it. Scream. <laughs> yell. Punch a wall. Go lift weights with Bart. But then ask yourself this one question. What do I want more? What's going to control my life? Am I going to be controlled by fear? Or am I going to do what it takes to create a lifestyle for myself and my loved ones? That's the key. The answer to that question is going to give you the clarity you need to move through all that 
And you, I mean, we all get it. I get it. I get. Um, I trespass against both those books more than you know. Hmm. I default into these levels of I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I'm going to be good enough on stage. I don't know if I'm going to sound good. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go on Bart show and I'm going to completely fail. <laughs> but you just have to get out there and do it yeah. and scream, yell, lift weights. Whatever it takes to get through it, just do it. Yeah, whatever it takes. I love that. Whatever it takes. All right, so what is the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset when it comes to failure? Fixed mindset is is the participation trophy and that we're, you know, and I might alienate some of the audience, <laughs> but that we're, we're, we're striving for something that's obtainable in terms of a grade. All right. In terms of a, maybe it's a career move where you're getting the VP office, and that's that mindset is that if I do A, and I do B, C is going to follow. So that is a, is a very safe mindset. It's fixed. It's fixed on certain conditions that have to happen. And we don't want to put ourselves out there to fail. See, a growth mindset is all about failing. It's all about doing whatever it takes, getting up back on the horse and going forward because it's the fun in the game. It's the thrill of that pursuit. It's fun. It's a growth. It's that knowing that I don't know. You know, one of the biggest things that I'm caught with in the company today is people who think they know and people that don't want to go beyond what they think they know. And I don't, I know that I don't know. So I have very smart people, two of them are crowding your studio right now. And I ask them questions and say, you know, maybe I'm looking at this wrong. And I expand my mindset. So a growth mindset is a person that uses willpower, resolve, and self-belief, most important thing you can have, to go forward and not look at life as being perfect. It's not going to be. So I learned something more philosophical years ago, and I think it falls in there, and, and it's, it's, you have to do something to be something versus be something before you do it. In other words, if I do this, I'll be happy versus getting into the mindset of I'm going to be happy and then I'll be able to go ahead and do this or do that. So you're saying you have to do something to be something. You've got to keep that and we're going to steal that from Bart. Right? We'll use it and we're going to post it tomorrow on Facebook. No, we'll give you credit. I like that. Yeah. I like that. But I think they'll you can look at the other side of that coin as well, yeah. is that you have to have visualization on what you want to be and then in order to do it. But at a certain point, you got to do it to become it. So right. I think those things are interdependent, much like failure and success, because if you right. think about a coin, failure is the other side of success. There are two sides of the same damn coin. Yeah. I like that, though. We'll just use it in Bill yeah. style. Yeah, do that. Uh, do you have a vision board? <laughs> no. Do you believe in vision boards? I know people that believe in vision boards. My vision board was in my head. And what I mean by that is this, and if the listeners can take this away, is before I would go into a, an account, I would visualize what it would be like to meet that person. I would visualize what it would be like to work with that person, that person asking me for certain things, certain requests, and me fulfilling them. I don't know if it was that, but a lot of that stuff came true. Yeah. And, and I could picture myself and the material gains that I would want, actually grabbing the steering wheel, feeling the leather, and I could see myself looking over an ocean, and those things came true. So my vision board was in my head. Um, how can someone begin setting effective goals for themselves in order to, as you mentioned in your book, fail your way forward? I think you have to ask yourself this, this question. A French philosopher will tell us that, that we f are, are the biggest fear we have, biggest fear we have, is be alone with our thoughts. Think about it. In your bedroom, hmm. you're alone, the bills, everything's coming up, all the negative things, and we don't want to, we don't want to be alone with our thoughts because that's where fear comes up. So we always know what we fear. We're really clear with what we fear, but we really don't know what we want. 
we have fuzzy goals sometimes, fuzzy logic behind what we're going to do to get those goals, and then a blank, blank effort to go get those goals. So I think we have to have clarity. I think we have to take the big goal. What's the one thing we want in our life? And then build little sub-goals off of that. Okay, mm -hmm. to get that, what do I have to do today? Remember that procrastination mm -hmm. thing you asked me about? Mm -hmm. What is it I need to do? Get that journal out, write that down, and take the steps to do it. The next thing tomorrow, the next thing, because everything has to build off the one thing. Just get clarity on the one thing you really want for yourself. You've done it. I watch you. You've lived it. Mm -hmm. Get clarity. Because right. without clarity, you got nothing. Yeah. Do you update? Do you? So you have the one big do goal, the big audacious goal, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then do you have subsets of goals yes. and then the steps for each of the su of the sub goals? Yes. Okay. And will you update them every year? No. So you're no, I'm not perfect on that. Yeah. I'll try to get close. I'll try to approximate as much as I can. Yeah. But but I'm always trying to raise the bar of improvement. And there's two ways to improve that I think or measure improvement. One is very subjective. Am I feeling it? Am I getting the applause? Am I doing this? And you know what the other one is? The objective one, am I cashing checks? Mm -hmm, of course. Got to be careful not to confuse the two because we can get so in love with our ego. You know, we're out there saying, hey, we're doing great, but we're going broke because we're not cashing checks based on that performance. Yeah. That, that's key. Yeah. So I, I got to, well, when I set goals, I'll set goals that are not might be financial, but I also will set physical and spiritual mm -hmm. and emotional and family. Will you do? Will you break down your goals at all like that, or, or are you or is yours primarily focused on like your business corporate? Well, I think I think the power plant of life is is business and life overlap. There's no such thing as just business over here, and then a yeah. separate what I call a subset yeah. of life over here. It, yeah. it ends up being like a Venn diagram. In the middle, I think is that thing we chase for the most part. Or create conditions for. Yeah. It's called happiness. Yeah. So what you said is, is very important. I, I always talk about pillars, intellectual and, and spiritual and, and physical, you know, emotional. Yeah. And I think that the most important is the spiritual, a belief in something bigger than you. Yeah. You know, something that to me is about giving. Uh, it's more abundance than scarcity. Mm -hmm. And by giving unselfishly without the expectation of a return sure. is the best way, I think, to get the biggest return. Yeah. So, yeah, I do I do put those in yeah. on my list. Perfect. I'm 100% aligned And live it. You yeah. know, just can't, those are things you just don't say. You, you got to live it. You got to live it. You got to live it. All right. What is an expected range of failure, and how is, it help, how is this helpful when setting goals? Yeah, you got to be careful with that because people with families... You can't go out and say, hey, look, you're a single guy at 24 years old busting into the scene. Take risks. Go do that. You have to have your own threshold for failure. That means Bart, Bill, whoever's listening has to have a threshold to say, at this point, I am entering into, into a financial a place where it's a financial burden for me to do this. How much pain do I want to get the gain? And at what point do I cash checks to know that I am doing those things yeah. that that are that is meaningful and stuff that I need to be doing? So I think the most important thing is your threshold is probably different than my threshold because I, I'm kind of a, let's go out there and see how much we can do. But then <laughs> yeah. we have so many people in the company, you're responsible for them as well. Yeah. So the thresholds of failures, I don't want to put anybody else in a financial position or emotional hurt or yeah. physical pain where they get hurt. Yeah. So that's something the individual has to be able to line out, yeah. taking others into consideration as well as yourself. Yeah. So along those lines, like your 24-year-old example, it's going to be different, yeah. most likely in a 54-year-old, yes. someone yes. with no kids versus a whole yes. family. Of course. Got it. Yes. All right. Be responsible with those risks. <laughs> All right. So how does the blame game affect one's journey to success? You know, I, 
I think that we we judge ourselves based on our intentions and we judge others based on their behavior. And the one thing we do, for the most part, we want to pass off blame when things go wrong. We don't want to be looked at as the locus for the problem, the part of the reason of the problem. It was somebody else. The dog ate my homework. And I think you grow when you're able to own the reality that if it's to be, it's up to me. And that you're able to say, you know, excuses go out the door and results happen. And that's the way you move through life if you're going to be effective. You know, things happen. You lose. You fail. Own it and move forward. We all try to blame, and blame doesn't do anything. It makes us look weak, and it makes us weak. Yeah. I won't use any names, but in the political world, I mean, for those that made mistakes, yeah. in my opinion, yeah. have owned it yeah. and moved on, Yes, such a better place than those who have tried to like put a lie or deceive or deceit or never admit. And go right back to what you talked about with the spiritual plant, the emotional plant, the physical plant. Don't you feel better when you come clean with things, just emotionally clean, and so you can have the physical power to go do the next thing? Don't you feel right spiritually when you're doing the right thing? I mean, it's it, you're not looking to say, someone else is keeping me from, from doing this. You know, I couldn't do it because I had this. You know what? See it for what it is. Don't blame others for your misfortune and move forward. Yeah, agreed. So I know in the book you, you got to profile and interview a lot of great people. You talk about Michael Jordan, Elizabeth Gilbert, Mark Cuban. So what did they have in common when it came to failure? Uh, just keep doing it until you make it. You know, Mark Cuban said, you don't need to get a perfect job. You need to get a job. Elizabeth Gilbert said, you know, I feel the best when I'm home, when I'm doing those things that mean something to me instead of trying to be commercial. Just where's my home? Where's my safe place? And somewhere between the adulation of the crowd and the money that's out there, what feels right for me is back to my writing. That's where I feel the best. So wherever your home is, is doing that thing that really truly is yours. Steve Harvey blowing up on stage and yeah. then doing the work it took to come back and say, you know what, I, I own this, I can improve this. I mean, most people would, would withdraw from the field. And Michael Jordan saying, you know, like Wayne Gretzky, right? It's Wayne Gretzky, right? right well, Michael Jordan really using the same philosophy. I'm going to miss a thousand of those, you know, a thousand percent of the shots I never take. Yeah. By the way, that's, that's the second most common quote to my kids. Is it? You miss a thousand percent of the shots you don't take. Oh, you, you, you absolutely do. <laughs> Okay. Um, <laughs> I got people helping me with everything. <laughs> you know, if they could, they would, they would probably dress me, but just straighten my tie. I can't get that inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. um, so your book does a great job. Um, and what really endeared me to your book was, it, I mean, you're raw, right? You, mm. you go th you mm. go through your, your life and, and how you push past failures and so forth. So how does that lesson apply today at your, at your other job, the Woodage yeah. Group? The raw failures? I think that if we don't learn from the lessons of history, you're condemned to repeat them. So you need to keep that journal, that bank, that memory. What did I do here that I could have done differently? And then implement what you can from the information you're receiving from that failure. That's the whole thing about failing more, is failing more intelligently. You're going to have to fail to get to the next level, but you can fail a little more intelligently or avoid some of the traps of failure. You can avoid some of it mm -hmm. and take a quicker route. Remember, yeah. the goal is to lessen the pain, shorten the distance. Yeah. So you have to go back and say, what did I do wrong? What were my missteps? What could I have done differently? And then do that. Those are the lessons of failure that are just invaluable. Mm -hmm. 
they're invaluable. You must have researched Thomas Edison and as part of your. Oh yeah, the whole. Right? I didn't want to put it in there because everybody knew about that, but there was a million <laughs> light bulbs, right? <laughs> so, That's right. What do you say? There, everything was a bad idea, or there was always all you need is one good idea with all the thousands of bad ideas. You just need one to pop. Yeah, you know? exactly. Literally, right. exactly. So. Uh, Good one, Bill. Thanks. <laughs> I'm a little. I'm like well, on a five second well, delay. Well, you know what? what <laughs> Christmas is coming around. You know, you put up those trees and there's pop, and then they all go out. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, exactly. that's where my brain's going now. Exactly. Um, what was the the biggest challenge for you in, in in writing your your at least your first book, and then what got you to do the second one? That's a good question. Um, the pain of the first book, because it took such a long time to write the first book and, and you can tell i'm probably you know the words don't usually escape me whether they make sense or not i don't know but i had huge manuscripts and the thoughts were all over the place and there's just a bunch of words and a bunch of no structure and it took me a long time to put structure to it and the second book i did with this young lady over here kelsey mcdaniel who helped me write the book and has uh, it was six months six months so uh yeah the pain of the first one kept me away from the second one yeah but then i got someone who could help me with it and it became yeah. easy yeah so that's where i'm passing off the credit because i'm right. putting it where it belongs oh you're good about that <laughs> was it uh was it painful being vulnerable in the book yeah oh oh, oh yeah it's the hardest thing you have. <laughs> oh I, I a lot the stuff i write in about about my father in the book i have really repressed and forgotten about so to exhume those things, yeah. it was like, whoa, yeah. you know, because I think a lot of times in pain, you just keep moving through it and you tend to repress it. Doesn't mean it goes away. You just yeah. try to repress it. Yeah. That vulnerability was the toughest thing. But I think to be relatable, to be a human is to have those vulnerabilities, whether you're willing to share them or not, is the degree of connection I think you have with people as humans. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, we are just about out of time. I want to make sure that people know how to reach you, reach your books. So give us all the info. At Bill Woodich, W-O-O-D-I-T-C-H, Bill Woodich, W-O-O-D-I-T-C-H.com. The books are in Barnes & Noble. They're on Amazon. I think you like the uh, Audible book better because uh, you get the dulcet tones of this voice as I read the book. But that's really where you can find me. Just yeah. punch in Bill Woodich. And, uh, I'm, man, I can't believe we're out of time. It goes faster, doesn't yeah, it? <laughs> Anything else you, you ladies want to make sure we cover? You want him on you the, on the you want him on the Unstoppables? <laughs> hey, we want him on. They want you on my show. I get to ask those questions now. <laughs> All right, Bill. So one of the things I have the privilege of asking my guests is their ultimate lesson learned. So what was your ultimate lesson learned in either your career or, or in, in writing your books? I think what took a, what changed the trajectory, good or bad, of my life was not believing in myself when I was young. And people telling me, you can do these things, and me not believing I could do those things. And maybe decades later, applying what they said and then finding out, yes, I can do that. Self-doubt's a killer. Self-doubt's a killer. Find those people. Find those, those mentors. Find those people that can help you move through to the next level. But the first place you have to believe it can be done is inside. You've got to believe in yourself. Don't ever give up on that. If I would have learned that lesson, man, who knows where I'd be. Probably writing my third book. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Bill, I really, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, this has been a really good time. Thank you very much. Uh, you know what? You're great. Thanks, Bart. Thank you, Bill. Ladies, thanks for, for joining us. Um, that's it for this week. We'll see you all in studio again next week. Uh, cheers. Tune in next week for the latest edition of the Zanbergen Report, Tuesdays at 2 p.m.
Catch up on our recent shows by visiting bartzanbergen.podbean.com. The Zanbergen Report is also available on iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Interested in being a featured guest on our show or have a question you'd like to hear us answer? Email podcast at bartzanbergen.com. Bart A. Zanbergen, CFP, and Letitia Burbaum, AIF, are registered investment advisors with Optivist Inc. and registered representatives with Gramercy Securities Inc., member FINRA and SIPC. Investment advisory services are offered by Optivist Inc. under SEC registration.